turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning. Thanks for joining us on this Tuesday, the second Super Tuesday of the election season, by the way, or Super Thursday if you're Joe Biden. It's the 10th morning of the third month of the year of our Lord, 2020. Thanks again to Stephen Lofton. Um, I'm going to tell you, when you read that book, if you get that book, The Black Problem in America, and it ain't racism nor the cops, um, Stephen isn't college educated. Stephen went to the University of uh, of Hard Knocks, as he says, on the streets of Los Angeles. Um, it's got some writing errors. It's got some, you know, subject verb agreement errors and some other kinds of things like that. And I don't care. The message is the message. It is worth reading. It is absolutely worth reading, and I have an immense amount of respect for that man. Uh, read it. The Black Problem in America. Make sure you get that. All right. Uh, this guy's not a black problem in America. He's actually one of the best solutions that we have. You know he is Peter Kersenow. Back with us on AM 1420. The answer, Peter Kersenow is an attorney, an author, a writer, and yes, he is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Peter, good morning, my friend. Bob, I'm also a virologist, like everybody else is these days. Apparently, I was an expert on these things. So, 16 more days to opening day. I hope we do have an opening day. I hope they don't cancel it or limit it just to the players. But um, you know, these days with uh, coronavirus, it seems like everybody is canceling things. I know meetings are being canceled uh, all over the place, uh, and I don't necessarily dispute that that may be a prudent action from time to time. But I am uh, very impressed by. I didn't realize when I was in college that so many people had been studying in genetics and immunology and virology. Uh, I thought uh, they were merely taking art history, but I was mistaken. You, you know what's hilarious about it, Pete, is that all of this expertise, and I know you're saying that tongue-in-cheek, but all of this, uh, you know, the, the people speaking out on this, 
um, completely ignored the real threat, which, of course, is flu season. Completely ignore yep. the fact that thousands upon thousands are, co- are contracting the flu and thousands are dying of the flu and they weren't washing their hands. They weren't getting away from people who cough. They weren't getting away from people who sneeze. They were just doing their thing. And guess what? We didn't have a mass panic. But because somebody gave this a name and, and you know, and of course it originated in China and, and it's different than regular flu season, the very same things that could prevent it prevent flu and now suddenly people i'm scrubbing my hands and i'm and i'm i'm staying out of public crowds and i'm not going near people uh you know that uh you know that i feel like might infect me that's the the weird thing about this everybody's an expert about something they should have been paying attention to all along and i think that's a very good point um i don't want to downplay this i think you treat it soberly and with the seriousness that it deserves uh but i think you've just uh, capsulize the seriousness that it deserves. I think that there is, uh, I don't want to use the word hysteria either, but there is an inordinate amount of attention placed on this. It seems as if there is blanket uh, coverage on it on radio, television, all the media. And you're right, In a sense of proportion, I think, is necessary. I'm not an expert at this, you know, but you know, I play one on the radio. I've, I've read a lot about this, and plus I have life experience, as we all do. And I'm trying to be as rational about this as possible. I'm trying to be open-minded when I see 24-7 on all the cable stations this, uh, you know, stress on coronavirus Um does it merit this wall-to-wall coverage? Um, does it merit a stock market plunge? And I recognize that the uh, oil issues had something to do with that, too. But does it merit all this? Is What's the evidence that I'm missing? Even some of the commentators that I respect uh, very much and I think are very credible, I tend to think, based on my own experience and my knowledge of this, are reacting a little bit more, uh, hysteria is maybe not the right word, but overreacting a little bit. And I'm waiting for the evidence to tell me that I need to react the same way they are. As you just indicated, we're going through or we're at the end of the ordinary flu season. Mm -hmm. And um, based on my back-of-the-envelope calculations, 900 times more people have died from the flu so far in the country this year, the ordinary flu, than have died from coronavirus. Now, it could be that tomorrow the coronavirus epidemic you know, spikes and all of a sudden we start seeing a lot more people dying. But if it follows the ordinary pattern that we've seen in the past with SARS and all the others over the last 20 years, we probably are getting close to the point, and I see that in South Korea, which may be the best correlative to our situation. It already seems to be receding. Um, you know, we're getting into spring, as many have indicated, and that's when these types of things start to recede. And in the summer months, you know, it could reemerge again in the fall, but hopefully by that time we will be close to having tested a vaccine. So, um, I'm taking the prudent steps like everyone else is. You know, I wash my hands. I make sure that I don't expose myself unnecessarily to possible infections, whether it's coronavirus or anything else. However, I'm, and this goes beyond coronavirus, I am um, a little perturbed by the fact that because of 24-7 media, Facebook, Twitter, all these things, it seems like we have lost perspective 
And it has downs- major league downsides. The economy is one of them. I think it's going to recover again, as I said. But um, there are people close to retirement age who have been depending on a nest egg, and when they see a plunge like that in the stock market, they start saying, you know, I may have to work another year or two, or maybe even more than that. And it causes other types of uncertainties and kind of domino panics. So, again, this is not from the perspective of a urologist, or immunologist, virologist, uh, geneticist. This is the perspective of somebody who's been around for a while and has seen a few things, and I just hope everybody acts like adults. Pete, um, are you a handshaker? Do you, do you shake the hands of people you meet at various events, uh, public places, oh, sure, workplaces? Yeah. Okay. Um, President Trump, I'm just curious as to how you feel about this. President Trump is a pretty well-noted um, germaphobe. Uh, maybe not to the level of Howie Mandel, where he won't shake a hand. He'll, he'll, you know, where Howie fist bumps people. But he's a germaphobe. Uh, it's been well documented. He keeps Purell on Air Force, Air Force One. Anytime he touches people, uh, he tells his aides, "Give me a shot of it," and uh, and that's way. But I find it really interesting that. He wants to project calmness. He wants to project, uh, you know, that we should not be panicking. And so there's a headline now in Breitbart today. Donald Trump shakes hands with supporters despite coronavirus fears, saying, I'm a politician. The bottom line is, I shake anybody's hand now, and I'm proud of it. These are people that I love. These are people I want to take care of. So in the midst of the panic and people staying home, you mentioned maybe not going to the game, whether we even have fans at the Indians game when the home opener happens. Well, part B of that is um, MLB. NBA, NHL, they're all talking about banning reporters from locker rooms. Locker rooms are going to be off limits to reporters, so they can't bring their, uh, their potential coronavirus germy hands and mouths, et cetera, into the, into the player's domain. It, while all of this panic is happening, the president is out here setting the example, saying, watch this. I don't know these people, but I'm shaking their hands. And all I'm doing is standard hygienic practices that we should all be doing in flu season and really all year round anyway. I'm using a hand sanitizer, but I'm not stopping my life, not stopping what I do day to day. I, I feel like that's an important message. I agree with that, and I think he's trying to calm fears. And by example, you know, when Franklin Delano Roosevelt said the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, this is a little bit different, but he wants to place things into perspective. He has access to the best experts, the virologists, immunologists that I've been talking about, and they've probably told him what the risks are associated with this. And he said, well, you know, I am the leader of the free world. I have an opportunity. Uh, obligation to set an example and put things into the proper scope. Uh, when you've got all these cable news stations playing, you know, the deaths in Italy and elsewhere 24-7 and making it seem that every single instance of coronavirus is akin to the Black Plague, I think it's important for someone of his stature, meaning the president's stature, to level things a little bit and put things into its proper scope. So uh, I commend him for that. I think uh, I think it's important. Right, look, life is more important than the economy. No ifs, ands, or buts about that. But, you know, when you think of the fact that we've got, I believe as of today, 26 deaths in the United States from coronavirus uh, since its outbreak, well, just in the month of February alone, uh, in Chicago, there were 34 murders. You will have to search far and wide in mainstream media to see any reference to that, and appropriately so, because it's not something unusual for Chicago. 
But again, it's a matter of putting things in its proper perspective. We need to be vigilant about coronavirus. It could expand. It's possible. Maybe it mutates in some fashion. So we've got health professionals who will be dealing with that. They're focused on this. In the meantime, outside of taking ordinary adult-like prudent steps, I think we have to get on with business. Yeah, I agree. Let me ask you this real quick before the break, and then we'll come back and talk about something else having to do with Super Tuesday 2.0 today, Biden versus Sanders. But I want to ask you about this. Do you think that the media is exaggerating the threat absolutely. intentionally to harm the economy? Absolutely. And, and I'm not going to restrain myself on this one, Bob. Okay, Look, you and I have been around long enough. All you got to do is watch and compare. There is absolutely no... They are straining to make it seem as if they're treating this only from the standpoint of a public health issue. Uh, but... In, they let the mask slip about every three or four minutes. It is pretty clear based on their commentary that they are hoping, they're, they're not hoping for deaths. I don't want mean to say that. I'm not saying that at all. But they are taking advantage of the fact that this thing is scaring people, that it's hurting the economy, and extrapolating from that, they are praying that this harms Trump. You know, Russiagate and two and a half years of Mueller didn't take out Trump. Ukraine and impeachment didn't take out Trump. The only hope they have of taking out Trump, because Biden sure as heck isn't going to do it, is the economic effects and dislocation of coronavirus. They hope to stoke those fears, and they're trying to place as much blame on on uh, uh, Trump as possible, saying that he's not doing what's necessary, not enough testing kits, not doing such and such, when... The problem with that is maybe Mr. Liberal himself, Gavin Newsom, praised Trump. He's probably getting all kinds of nasty emails from his brethren on this thing. But I'm not saying Trump is being perfect on this at all, because I don't know. But it seems to me he's getting out in front of it, as you've just indicated, oh, it, even if no more than a, from a nominal perspective. But he's got everybody on top of this thing, and he took the actions that the Democrats blamed him for and called a racist when he shut off travel to and from uh, China. So I think he's doing the right thing. Do I have the medical expertise to say he's doing everything possible? No, I don't. But based on the experts, they seem to think that this is what they're doing. We need more testing kits and things like that. But yes, Bob, I believe definitively that the media, broadly speaking, hopes this has a negative impact on Trump. And they're trying to draw the connection as much as they possibly can. I uh, I will go further than you. You said you don't think they're hoping for deaths. I might not use the word hoping, but I will say they would not be disappointed if, because then they could blame that and say, blood on Trump's hands, he didn't do anything to stop this virus. Peter Kirsten, I'll back with us after this. This on AM 1420, the answer. Pete, I want to pivot now um, to the election. Two days ago, uh, or no, maybe it was just yesterday, um, Team Bernie, otherwise known as Team Commie, Team Bolshevik Bernie, whatever you want to say, um, uh, declared that Biden and his team wanted to change the uh, March 15th debate 
to a sit-down debate because Biden can't stand up at the podium and think on his feet very long. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why he's struggling the way he does. So they wanted a sit-down thing. Team Biden immediately rejected that, said that is a lie, it is not true. One day later, here's the headline, DNC changes rules of debate uh, so that it will be a seated debate between uh, Bernie and uh, uh, and Joe Biden. Does this do anything to quell the concerns about the not just physical, but obviously the mental well-being of Joe Biden as a front-running candidate? Bob, uh, you and I have talked about this before, and I've been telling people for more than 20 years that Joe Biden, uh, of all the politicians I've ever met, and it's a lot, and I've met tons of senators and representatives, was the um, least mentally impressive of any of them. And that was before he started exhibiting, and again, I'm not going to play an immunologist, a virologist, or a psychiatrist, or a mental health professional, but it seems that just on a colloquial basis, if you just take a look at him, general observation, the multiple gaffes that he makes, this is not a guy who is, you know, firing on all cylinders. So um, I believe that the Democratic Party knows they have a problem here. Uh, The problem among other things, was that they had a uh, communist, socialist, whatever you want to call it. Remember, uh, Lenin said the goal of socialism is communism. But they had a guy who had a rabid base of maybe 35% of the Democratic Party who wouldn't be able to expand that beyond another few more percentage points in the general election. And they had a very um, unimpressive cadre of candidates and Biden turns out to be maybe the best one of them all in terms of his appeal. He has name recognition because he's been around forever and ever and ever. And as he is wont to remind people on a regular basis, he was um, uh, Biden's running mate, as he would put it. He was Obama's running mate. So they're, they're stuck with him. And I do think, however, that he is suffering... Again, I'm not an expert at these things, but just general observation. He's suffering a decline. I don't have to ascribe any kind of medical condition to it. There's no doubt in the world he's not able to think on his feet. So it's not a surprise that he wants to uh, conform the debate conditions to allow him to compete at the best level that he can. Bernie, for all, I, I would tell you, he's older than Biden. Uh, or is as, as old as Biden. I mean, it's just a few months different. One is, yes, he, one is 77, the other is 78. And, and Bernie's coming off of the heart, condi- heart attack. Yeah. Uh, he seems to me to be still quick on his feet. Uh, he has all the wrong ideas, but at least he can think. Uh, Biden, I, I, there's been a lot of speculation that even if he were the nominee, one of the major focuses of the Democrats would be to invest with, with him a running mate that could take over, you know, and there's all kinds of kind of rank speculation that they would invoke the 25th Amendment immediately, and this is a grand scheme. Look, I, I'm not uh, that clever to think about all these things down the road. The fact of the matter is that he likely will be the nominee as of tonight. I mean, for all practical purposes, if he wins Michigan, maybe picks up a Missouri in another state, uh, it's probably toast for Bernie, and many people are already writing his political obituary. I think it's maybe too soon to do that. Mm-hmm. But 
uh, they've got a problem. I've spoken to Democrats who acknowledge that this is a major issue. They're very uncomfortable with it. They know that Trump is sharp as attack. They may attack him as much as they want. They may say that he's awful and racist and evil and everything, but they know that this is a guy who doesn't act like your ordinary 70-plus-year-old person. He is very, very sharp. Plus, I mean, he's going to make mincemeat out of Biden. It's it for a while. It's going to be entertaining, and then it's going to be like watching, you know, uh, lions and the and uh, and the Christians. You know, it's going to be very, very bad at some point. Trump is going to have to actually pull back. I bet his advisors tell him in a debate, "Don't go for the jugular twenty four seven. You know, make your point, tear him apart, but uh, you know, don't beat him up too much." I'm going to have to try to think of a different metaphor during the break here because I don't like the idea of Biden as a Christian. I don't think he fits that bill. Uh, but uh, Peter Kirsten, I'll stay with us. we got more to talk about regarding the battle between Biden and Bernie and then the inevitable battle between, and I think it is inevitable, we'll find out uh, after these uh, six or states or so vote today, the inevitable battle between Biden and Trump. Kirsten, I'll back with us one more time after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Continue now on AM fourteen twenty. The answer with our friend Peter Kirsten, now member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, uh, a best-selling author, columnist for the National Review at NRO.com, and much more. Okay, Pete. Um, so they gate they ca- caved in uh, rather the DNC <clears throat> to the uh, Biden team's demands, essentially admitting and acknowledging they'll do whatever they have to make Joe Biden successful. This is something that Bernie Sanders said on, uh, I want to say it was Meet the Press, perhaps? No, it wasn't Meet the Press. Anyway, Bernie Sanders said on one of the, one of the talk shows on Sunday that the DNC clearly is in the tank for uh, Joe Biden and that he is getting the short end of this uh, stick in terms of the uh, Democratic nomination. Fight. The establishment put a great deal of pressure on Pete Buttigieg, uh, on Amy Klobuchar, who ran really aggressive campaigns. I know both of them. They work really, really hard. But suddenly, right before Super Tuesday, they announced their withdrawal. If they had not withdrawn from the race before Super Tuesday, which is kind of a surprise to a lot of people, I suspect we would have won in uh, Minnesota, we would have won in Maine, we would have won in Massachusetts. The turnout may have been a little bit different. Buttigieg and Klobuchar are furious at the characterization that the DNC pressured them to get out of the race to endorse and support Biden. But but uh, St- Sanders is standing by his accusations. Do you think that the DNC is in the tank for Biden and that Bernie Sanders, just like he was shortchanged in his fight against Hillary Clinton, is just being forced out because they cannot take a chance on having to run uh, with a socialist as their actual standard bearer? I do think that uh, I don't know to what extent there have been machinations to ensure that Biden is the nominee, but I am uh, absolutely I think it's a no brainer that they want Biden as opposed to Sanders. Sanders brings energy. He brings some younger people into the fold that otherwise might not be involved in the election campaign or voting. But the problem for the Democrats is that uh, even though Sanders um, would get slaughter just like in my estimation biden will against trump all things being equal presuming the economy doesn't tank and that uh completely tank and that the president doesn't get blamed for it i think that the problem with sanders is down ticket 
when you've got somebody who inspires a tremendous amount of devotion, as Sanders followers do, at the top mm-hmm. of the ticket, but only in a very narrow way. That is, that uh, when it comes to downstream, I think that Democrats were going to get decimated, whether it be congressional races, Senate races, even local races. Uh, that was going to be a problem. So, um, I, you know, look, it, it's interesting to watch how everyone fell in line so quickly. It was truly remarkable. Tremendous amount of discipline that they haven't been able to demonstrate on almost any other matter, although Democrats regularly walk in lockstep ideologically and seem to purge those who don't follow the party line. But nonetheless, it didn't take long for the, the Democrats and their media adjunct to promote Biden over Sanders and pretty much crown him, meaning and, and Biden not just that, but again, but again, bend to his request to I want to sit down when we do this debate. I, I, I mean, it really just seems like anything he wants or needs to get this nomination, he gets. Um, and and let me, if you want to finish on your thought on that, Pete, follow it with the question, obviously about vice president. I know we talked about this a little bit before, but about potential vice presidential candidates. Again, Joe Biden is 77 and not in good health. And I think mentally there are legitimate questions about whether or not there's early onset dementia or something else that makes him unable to uh, complete thoughts, know where he is, when he is, know what he has done, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's you know, Bernie, again, you mentioned 78 and coming off a heart attack. So the number two for either one of these guys is going to be extraordinarily important because they both may be one-term presidents if they were to win. Right. And Biden already alluded to that months ago when he said that he's going to be very careful about his VP pick because, as he said, it, he's an old guy. Yeah. Uh, but it's beyond that. I think that a lot of people are concerned about 25th Amendment issues, that he may not be able to fulfill the functions of the job. Therefore, they've got to, number one, assure voters. But also, I think there is a true, for maybe one of the few times in American history, there's a true concern that this guy can't finish out his term and that there will be a successor to him. So, And that will be part of the calculus among voters that, in, the, in fact, whether or not they cast a vote is contingent in some measure upon whether or not they've got confidence with the VP pick. So I think the DNC slash Biden are going to be very concerned about having a sellable and credible VP candidate. There are a lot of, you know, there's a lot of speculation, conspiracy theories that maybe it's going to be Hillary or maybe it's going to be Michelle Obama and all these other things. I don't, I don't know, but well, what, I do what know did it's you going think to be very Klobuchar important. said, Pete, Klobuchar yeah, at, yeah. at an event where she said it was so easy to be able to go from running against him to joining the Joe Biden tick, uh, I mean, yeah. campaign. I, I think that she's. I don't think that she has any particular uh, insight or got any kind of insurance from Biden. I don't know that. Maybe she did. But I think that everybody probably thinks that they've got the potential to be his VP. I think she was probably selling herself a little bit. I, I think that was probably a, mis- a mistake or a, a, a misstatement on her part or maybe wishful thinking. But who knows? I do think that Biden has already reached out to a number of these folks. The DNC clearly has and said, look, you are in the running if if you're not going to get the direct um, uh, not right now, but you're in the running, so you know support me, and then at the end of the day, we'll make a determination. So I think everybody's throwing their hat in the ring at this point. Um, let me ask you about because you mentioned uh, you think uh, Donald Trump is going to what was the word you used uh, against Biden? Um, 
don't know, but he's going to clean his clock. So I remember what you want, but, but essentially he's going he's to tear him apart on the debate stage. Um, what do you make of President Trump's debating skills? Because I, I go back to the time before I became a Trump supporter, and that was in the primaries when he debated the likes of Ted Cruz and, and others, and I feel like Ted Cruz debated circles around him. He didn't have much to say, but he always had the one-liner and the insults, and uh, he would just look at the camera and say, wrong, and everybody would, oh, he got him. <laughs> Is that going to fly in a general uh, debate against a Joe Biden? Again, Biden's a walking gaffe machine, but the president isn't necessarily always the most eloquent uh, when thinking on his feet either. He's not. Uh, two things about that. Number one is I think a lot of us, uh, me included, and you've just indicated, uh, viewed Trump's debating skills from the prism of what we've been used to with respect to politicians. Definitely. And so we were kind of befuddled as to how he was scoring points, or at least I'll speak for myself. Uh, I didn't think that he was the cleverest debater out there, but he was, uh, he was uh, the most effective. And the thing about uh, Donald Trump, I, I think that so many of his adversaries so I'm short on, is his ability to make connections. This is, this is a guy who is, a, you know, bears repeating for the millionth time. He defeated the two most prominent political dynasties in the country without ever having run for a dog catcher before. Uh, that's pretty significant. People need to study how he did that. I know I am. Um, you know, he doesn't stay in the lanes. He is not easy to manage, but he has an instinct for things that I think uh, these career politicians don't have. He has an appeal, visceral appeal, to a large segment of the American population. So I do think that um, if you look at, uh, my point number two is, if you look at his performance more recently, um, as effective as Trump was, even though we were befuddled by it during the 2016 election cycle, if you look at his town halls, and, and uh, well, the Fox Town Hall last week, but also his rallies. The Fox Town Hall was instructive. I thought he was amazing. He was so good, so polished. He had an answer, and I don't mean an answer in a kind of a uh, cosmetic sense, but he had a substantive answer for almost every question posed to him, and it was effective. So I think what you've seen is an evolution of a guy who has great instincts into somebody who is much more polished than he was in 2016. I think he's a much more formidable candidate. And remember, Trump was selling an unknown quantity politically back in 2016 because, as I said, he never ran for office before. A lot of people, including myself during the primaries, thought he was a liberal and a Democrat because he had been for a long time. Um, but he has evolved into somebody who is now one of the most instinct, not just the most um, instinctive politician, but a practiced and polished one. And not polished it, polished like a lot of guys are who, you know, are kind of smarmy as a result. Uh, he's very good. This is a man, and Bob, you and I have talked about this, and I've said this to some of your listeners when we've had, when I've been in uh, uh, groups with them. That in the times that I've met the president um, behind closed doors, I've been so impressed by his intellectual capacity. This is not your ordinary person, and I think people are missing the boat on this individual. I was as, as skeptical as anybody could have been prior to the general election of 2016, um, but when faced with new evidence and new facts, I change my, my opinion on things. I don't you know, adhere to my previously held position out of, you know, some kind of ego reason or any That's other That's what kind a wise of man does. That's right. When yeah, the very right. change, uh, your, 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 your conclusion changes. But it was only one week after the general election where I voted for him, mainly because he was not Hillary Clinton, uh, that 
I met with him and was 180 degrees turned around. I was so amazed by what I heard in my interaction with him. And I'll keep saying that forever and ever and ever because it was true at that time. It remains true to this day. Maybe he'll disappoint me at some point, and all politicians will. But I think that Trump has got natural ability, innate ability, and instincts, but now it's been honed with experience in politics at the highest level, obviously. He is very good at what he does. And Joe Biden does not have a chance being on the same, no one does. Nobody that the Democrats can put up has a chance on the same stage against this guy. The only thing that can defeat Trump is Trump himself, is the economy, frankly. If people think that the economy or any downturn in the economy is his fault, then I think that can harm him. But he's doing all the things necessary right now. He's talking about a payroll tax cut. He's talking about, you know, he keeps pressuring the Fed, whether or not that's the appropriate thing to do. You know, he can have that argument. He's pressuring the Fed with respect to interest rates. He's doing a lot of things to shore up the economy and the cosmetic things that you've indicated, Bob, shaking hands, showing people that this is not Armageddon. Um, again, I, I feel pretty comfortable, even with coronavirus, as to his election prospects, re-election prospects. It is enhanced dramatically by the fact that the Democrats are about to put up for nomination one of the most flawed candidates in uh, presidential electoral politics history. Uh, yeah, well, and one of the most flawed that we've seen in a whole four years. Uh, you mentioned her name, and that, of course, is Hillary Michael Goodwin, writing for Fox News, actually writing for the New York Post, sorry, the uh, Fox News picked it up, says that the Democrats' hunt for a Trump slayer may lead to a Hillary Clinton comeback, that they don't think Bernie nor Biden, for all the reasons you just laid out for Biden, and of course Bernie's Fidel Castro supporting, Nicaragua supporting, uh, uh, Russia supporting, China supporting, communists behind uh, can possibly beat him. Do you think there's any chance that they find, they go to a brokered convention, nobody wins on the first ballot, and they decide neither one of these are going to do it. We need to go outside the uh, the box here, and we got to either bring Hillary back or someone else. Do you think it's possible? It's possible. I wouldn't discount the possibility. I don't think it's likely. Um, they might, but I think if, I don't think it would be a Hillary Clinton for a number of reasons. Number one is I think a lot of people among the Democratic Party are tired of her. Uh, they're afraid to say so for obvious reasons, you know, but they're tired of her, and they also understand. But they're trying to freshen up her image, too. Right, you know, are you right. watching? I don't know if you watch Hulu or not, but there's this big Clinton love affair type thing. I've heard you know, of it, yes. Yeah, I've where Bill is explaining why he had sex with a 22-year-old intern, because he had anxiety, and it was therapy for him. Uh, and, and Hillary is getting a makeover as the golden girl and the wiser sage who learned from all kinds of different experiences with Bill. I, it just looks like an image refresher to me, and I wonder why. Yeah, I agree that it, it is an image refresher, but I also think that she is past her sell-by date, and I think a lot of Democrats have come to that conclusion. They are Some of them are angry with her. Some never really uh, warm to her, but they'll do anything to defeat Trump, of course. Uh, but she also is, and I think a lot of people have recognized this, even in the media, which is the adjunct of the Democratic Party anyway. It's their press arm, and I don't mean to say that casually. I know a lot of people say that, uh, but I think it, to a large extent they haven't disproven that notion. They also are are done with Hillary Clinton. Would they prefer to Trump? Obviously, no doubt about that. But they recognize that she could really be a drag on the ticket. She is a loser. She has lost. And she is a horrible candidate. Um, Donald Trump, uh, look, if she's the vice presidential nominee, 
Maybe that draws a few more votes to Biden. I doubt it, however. People are going to be voting based on either voting. This is going to be less of a referendum on Biden or whoever the Democratic nominee is than a referendum on Trump. There are those who under no circumstances will ever vote for Trump, and there are those who are making a rational decision that this guy has delivered more goods than any president in our lifetime. And again, as I start to say at the outset, Donald Trump was a blank slate in 2016. He was trying to sell himself uh, as someone who's going to do certain things, but he was a blank slate. We had no record. Now he has a record of achievement that is astonishing, and it is true. He is one of the few politicians could ever say this. Promises made, promises kept. He has actually done that. So you may disagree with some of those policies. You may dislike his personality, but look at where we are as a country right now, and you can tick off the list of accomplishments and how we are demonstrably better off now than we were four years ago. He can clearly say that more so than any president since Reagan. And I would say that aside from the fact that, yeah, Reagan in 1984, had a 7% growth rate. It was a different economy back then, different size economy. I think Trump has delivered more than any president in our lifetimes, and that includes Reagan. I think that's well said. It will be a referendum on Trump, uh, no matter, and that's why. That's why they're working so hard to follow in Bill Maher's, or follow Bill Maher's playbook, who said, let's crash the economy, let's make sure there's a recession so we can get rid of this guy. They're using the coronavirus to do exactly that. Peter, Bob, I'll see you on Thursday, right? We're going to be in Georgia County at uh, Trump Day dinner. Just got word that it sold out last night, and they added extra tables. Those are all sold out, sold out as well. So it is, uh, it is going to be completely jammed. Trump Day dinner in Georgia County, the Georgia County Republican Club. Looking forward to it, my friend. We'll see you there. We're going to be dangerous again. <laughs> yes, indeed. Thank you, Pete. Peter Kirsten now joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. We'll take our final uh, time out here. And I've got time for a call or two if you want to dial now. Got to do it during the break. 216-901-0945 before we wrap it up on AM 1420, The Answer. I got to tell you, um, Michigan is considered to be the biggest prize today, particularly for Bernie Sanders in this Super Tuesday 2.0. And Joe Biden may just be working overtime to give it to him. I just watched a minute and a half video clip on Twitter of Joe Biden touring one of the auto plants in Detroit, Michigan. On today, Election Day up there. He got into an argument with an auto worker, a loud argument in which he told the auto worker that the auto worker is, quote, you're full of blank. Said that to him directly and then argued with him about his own verbal statements in which he appeared in Texas with Beto, Robert Francis O'Rourke, and said, you're going to be my gun czar. Robert Francis O'Rourke is the guy who said, we're coming to take your guns. And he said, uh, O'Rourke is going to be his guy to do exactly that. This auto worker called him out on it, and he screamed, I never said that. I never said we were going to come and get your guns, blah, blah, blah. And he starts talking about how he has a 12-gauge and his sons shoot. And then he talked about the importance of the AR-14. I'm going to let that sit for a second. The AR-14. He told a Michigan voter, an auto worker, looked him dead in the eyes, told him he's full of crap, then argued with him about how that worker will never need an AR-14. There is no such thing as an AR-14. There is an AR-15, 
And Joe Biden doesn't know about it and complete, continue to yell at him saying, you don't need 100 rounds. Why do you ever need 100 rounds? Joe Biden is lost between the ears. He is absolutely 100% mentally incapable of handling conversation, debates, or discussions without losing his, his temper and then starting to tell weird, fantastical stories about his leg hair. It is a very bizarre thing. Dan in Middleburg Heights, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Dan, go ahead. Uh, good morning, Bob. Good morning. To follow up on uh, on this Biden thing, you know, in the DNC, Yeah. A, a month ago, in my mind, I didn't think that all those candidates on the Democratic Party, including Biden and Sanders, would be there in July. With, with Biden's condition and the way they way the DNC circled the wagons to eliminate all the other candidates, there's no way they can go in to win this thing with Biden. They'd have to eliminate him also, which brings, unfortunately, somebody like uh, a Clinton-Obama type of uh, ticket through brokering because Obama would bring back any blacks that they figured they may have lost, you know, Trump would have you know, taken away from them. They could regain them back. Mm-hmm. They can't do it with Biden because they'll get killed. Interesting point. That's kind of what I asked Kirsten out at the end. Thank you, Dan. At the end of our conversation is uh, about exactly that, because uh, that's where Hillary could potentially slide in uh, if there isn't too much of a you know, uh, negative appetite for her already. Jim in West Park. Jim, I've only got about 25 seconds. Go ahead. Yeah, you got my you got my uh, uh, message, but you didn't answer my question about Jim Jordan. Brent Larkin accused Jim Jordan of gerrymandering his way all the way to Greater Cleveland, and I didn't think he was anywhere near Cuyahoga County. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, well, uh, thank you for the call. He actually comes into Western Lorain County. Uh, he's my congressman, and I'm in Elyria, so he's my congressman. Uh, but he does not reach Cuyahoga County, and I can't talk about it now because, well, Mike Gallagher's up next. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Enjoy the silence.